extremely important and uh, somewhat sensitive subject this morning, uh, which we titled Never Too Late, Encouraging Faith in Your Adult Child. I'm talking specifically for those of us that may have older children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, and maybe we're here and we want to have a stronger relationship with them, or maybe we're concerned about their spiritual uh, uh, condition. Let me introduce my family to you here with a picture. This <coughs> is my wife, Amy. She's actually here with me this weekend. You're going to get to meet her in a little while. Uh, we've been married 28 years. We've been blessed with seven children, four boys and three girls. Age is 25 down to eight. Our youngest two boys, Ray and Rush, are here. Can you guys stand up and just give away for me? They're our ministry uh, partners here at the conference this weekend. And uh, if you're looking up there, you're like, well, that looks like more than seven. Uh, you are uh, correct. We've got our two eldest are married, and then on the far right there, do you see that? First grandchild, Amy Victoria, nicknamed AV. During the, the break between the services, I've had a slideshow of dating pictures for you. We'll just run it and let you, uh, let you see. Okay. <clears throat> we have done uh, this survey in churches all over the country. You've heard statistics, right, about all these young people growing up in the church and then leaving the faith when they become adults. And those statistics are very focused on the young people, but those young people have parents and grandparents who love them, right? So we've done a survey for parents, NPS parents, and we found, and this has been consistent everywhere we've done it, two-thirds of NPS parents in the church have at least one of their adult children struggling in their faith. Far from God. Two-thirds. So that is a significant uh, majority. Let me tell you a couple of uh, stories. I came into this particular subject and this particular burden from the standpoint of a youth pastor. I was a youth and family pastor for 18 years and got to see so many young people come through the church. And when they were in high school, it seemed like they were doing well spiritually. But then you continue to be in their lives to 22, 25, and 30, and you see so many of them fall away. A couple of stories. Uh, one, uh, Mike, whose names are changed to protect the guilty, Mike uh, came to our youth group when he was a sophomore in high school. Came out of a pretty rough uh, background, came through the foster care system, and when he was a sophomore in high school, God worked in his life, and he came to Christ and joined our church. And he kind of quickly became a leader in the youth group, and then as a college student, he was a volunteer now, helping out with the younger kids in the church. Right? So if you can picture, you know, man like Mike. So a number of years go by, and he moved out of, the, out of the area, and I didn't even know he moved back, but one day my phone rings, Mike's 25 years old, and he says, hey, Rob, it's Mike, do you remember me? I'm like, of course I remember you. How do you know? He said, well, I'm engaged, and I'd love for you to, to officiate our, our wedding. Wow, what an honor that would be. I said, well, if I could get together with you and your fiance, you know, get to know you guys a little bit, kick the tires, make sure, you know, that we're good to go. And so I get together with this couple, and, and pretty soon in the conversation, it becomes apparent to me that Mike's fiance is not a Christian. So I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be a little tricky. The Bible says you shouldn't be unequally yoked as a pastor. I can't perform a wedding for a Christian or a non-Christian. But I just met this young lady. I would never want to be offensive in any way to her. I got to figure out a way to gently uh, probe in this. So I said, um, you know, as I'm listening to you talk, it kind of sounds to me like maybe you are all on like two different foundations when it comes to spiritual things or religious things. They stare at me. I say, all right. I got to, you know, turn up the volume a little bit. I say, well, let me try this another way. 
training for their religious uh, training, their religious education. What that one might translate is that, well, there's a lot of good religions in the world. Our job is to expose them to all the different religions and just have them pick. So I'm sitting in my chair. You understand? I'm in my office, right? Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, I'm like, on my back, flat on the ground. Here. So here's the deal. I was afraid they were unequally yoked. My fears were unfounded. They were very equally yoked. Mike wasn't a practicing Christian anymore. I, I didn't know that, but that's what had, had happened. It was heartbreaking to me. Another one, Jenny, at the age of 18, was a part of the church's worship team on Sunday mornings. If you came to a week Bible church, you'd typically see Jenny playing her guitar. She went off to college in Washington, D.C., came back. It was her sophomore Christmas break, so a year and a half right after high school. And I was the associate uh, pastor, Pastor Luke. And so it was the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, which is the graveyard shift for preachers. And so the associate pastor right, was preaching that Sunday, at least in the church where I was. So I <laughs> preached in the college church of back. And I get a, an email from, uh, oh, my pastor. Can you all say hi? Oh, come on. I'm so happy to see you. Yay. <laughs> I told you you were coming. And, uh, and uh, so it was uh, uh, Jenny emails me that afternoon at the church. And the subject of the email like, concerns about the message. I'm like, all right, well, that's interesting. I'd like to read this. And she says, um, you know, it was nice to be back. Nice to hear you again. But I have some concerns about the sermon. Throughout your message, you kept referring to the Bible as the Word of God. Let's turn to the Word of God says in 1 Timothy 5. Let's go to the Word of God in Psalm 2. And she says, when you talk about the Bible as the Word of God, it sounds like you're saying it's the only divinely inspired book. Now, I wasn't, you know, this wasn't a sermon about the Bible. Sometimes there are sermons about the Bible, right, where we're teaching what God's Word is. This wasn't one of those messages. It was just an offhanded you know, Word of God. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you picked up on that. But here's what struck me. See, in a year and a half, she goes from worship leading to finding uh, a reference. Calling the Bible the Word of God is something that was offensive to her. And these stories are replicating themselves over and over and over again uh, around the country. So the, the messages that I've got for you this morning, um, and as Luke said, sometimes we'll do this particular conversation as an all-day event, as an all-day conference. So this is the compressed version, right? Instead of four hours, we'll just do it in this hour this morning. But three messages for you. If you've got one of those adult kids or grandkids who's far from the Lord, number one, you're not alone. Number two-thirds of empty guest parents in the church have at least one child far from God. The big focus this morning is that it's never too late. And when I say it's never too late, as long as you've got breath and your child's got breath, it's never too late for God to use you to make a spiritual impact in their life. And then message three is set your heart and mind clearly on the goal. Here's what... I mean by that. You could probably have a better language than this, but what is the goal? The goal is your son or daughter loving God with all their heart, fully trusting in Jesus for their present and their future, and arriving safely home, home would be heaven forever, together. Is that, is that goal okay? All right, you can make it better or add your own language. Um, but as parents, that's our dream. That's our prayer. That's the miracle that we want to see God do in the lives of our kids. So I don't have any magic formulas for you today or 
lifelong parenting principles. Okay, these ones don't expire when your kids uh, become adults. And the four principles I want to walk you through this morning are, are these. Uh, number one, uh, offer your heart to the Lord. Number two, turn your heart to your child. Number three, draw your child's heart to yours. Number four, point your child's heart to Christ. I need a hand motion to help you remember. Can we go on and do, do those good things? Let's go all together. Offer your heart to the Lord. Turn your heart to your child. Draw your child's heart to yours. Point your child's heart to Christ. Okay, can we walk through those? All right, let's talk about this first one. Offer your heart to the Lord. And, and I should uh, warn you a little bit here. The first two, offer your heart to the Lord, turn your heart to your child, those are the most like personal and invasive. They don't have anything to do with your child. Not just you and, and the Lord. So we spent a lot of time this weekend in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which Jesus says is the great commandment, and it speaks to the family and it speaks to parents. The scripture says, love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. So yesterday morning, we zeroed in on verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. We talked about what would it mean to be spiritually intentional with our kids and with our grandkids. But instead of zeroing into verse 7, go back with me to the beginning. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all, help me, your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command to you today shall be upon your hearts. Okay, now let's talk about the kids. You get a sense of ordering, right? The Lord said, you, 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 okay. Kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews. Look at this scripture also in Deuteronomy 32. Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to carefully observe all the words of this law. Again, this, this priority of you take the word of God to heart, you ask the Lord to help you follow Jesus, and now we're ready to invite our children to follow along. As we've worked with uh, hundreds, probably thousands of parents over the, the years around the country, around the world, who are struggling with prodigal kids, we often find that parents, uh, as far as their mindset, end up in two, uh, two categories. One, uh, over here, the total responsibility side, here's what I mean. These are parents who basically blame themselves for everything. There's a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda, if only I had done this as a parent, if only I had done that as a parent, if I had not failed in this way and not failed in this way, then my kids would be following Jesus, or then we'd have uh, a healthier family. So that makes sense. They take total responsibility for what's happened. We also talk to a lot of folks who are on what I would call the no responsibility side, which goes something like this. Hey, we did the best we could. We uh, raised those kids, we provided for them, we took them to church. Uh, told them about Jesus, took them to Sunday school, youth group, and, you know, people make their own choices. Everybody makes their own choices, so we have no responsibility here whatsoever for how these kids turned out. Okay. I want to suggest to you that, that both of these mindsets are unbiblical and incredibly unhelpful. And I want to try to well, raise your hand for me if, if in your world, in your sphere of friends, that you folks... Uh, that you tend to gravitate more to the total responsibility and blame myself for everything. So I mean, those are, raise your hand those are your people. Raise your hand if you're more on the, look, we did our best kids, make their own choices. Uh, if, 
turn from disobedience to righteousness. Repent of your sins. Humble yourself before God. Prepare for the Messiah. That would make sense. But he also pleaded with fathers, uh, and then specifically parents, he pleaded with fathers to turn their hearts to him. Now what? The first one, okay, repent of your sins, prepare for Jesus. Got it. What does this have to do with getting people ready for Jesus? Well, when the hearts of parents are turned to their kids, and the hearts of kids are turned to their parents, everybody's heart is bent soft toward Father God, seeking to express his love for us through his son Jesus. But if the hearts of parents are hard to the kids, hearts of kids are hard to the parents, everybody's hearts also hard for who? Father God, seeking to express his love to us through his son Jesus. So how many of you want the hearts of your children, no matter how old they are, to be prepared for Messiah? Ask God to turn your heart to them. Ask God to make it the number one mission of your life to help your children love and follow Jesus forever. Another scripture, and I think uh, a key action step. You say, okay, Rob, how do I how do I have my heart turned to my adult son, adult daughter? I encourage you to be praying and asking for God to give you a heart of compassion for them. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looks out at this crowd of lost souls, and we read this. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And I wonder if this is how you would see your children and grandchildren who are far from God. Would you have the same heart of Jesus for them as people who are weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd? Let me try it this way. Would you agree with it? If you've got an adult child far from God, would you agree that they're in a spiritual battle? All right. And at the moment, if they're in this spiritual battle, like for their soul and their relationship with God, they're, they're losing, right? They're on the downside of the spiritual attack. So let's make it physical. Imagine that your son or daughter is out there in the parking lot in, in a physical fist fight, they're fighting somebody, and whoever they're fighting with got them down. They're, your son's back on the concrete, and this person's just wailing away. Now, as a parent, there are two emotions or two things ought to rise up in you. What are those two things? Yeah, one is, I, I want to fight, but I want to get in there, and I want to help my son or daughter, and here's important, even if it means getting hurt myself. Part of this ministry to an adult child is being willing to be hurt yourself. Okay, the other thing, right, you ought to feel is what? Compassion. Right? Your child's getting pummeled. And the Lord's heart for them Action step. One of the things that we do a, a, a deep dive in out of the resource table, my voice can help you, is, is the book Never Too Late, where we really press in to each one of these with a lot of practical action steps. But one of the areas where we spend a lot of time is the reality is a lot of us are struggling with anger and bitterness toward our kids because our kids have done things that have hurt us, uh, either directly or indirectly, or for a long period of time, experienced rejection from them. And because we are dealing, it's hard to say that, right? It's hard for a parent to confess, yeah, I'm angry and bitter toward my child. That seems weird. That feels upside down. But the truth is that's the case for a lot of us. So that's a huge area of asking God to help us forgive our kids, our adult children, when they've done things to hurt us, so that we are, and that's another ball and chain, so that we don't have that ball and chain of anger and bitterness uh, around our hearts. Okay.
I warned you those first two like were the most invasive. So now let's come up above ground. Okay, you're good with that? Here we go. Let's talk about the next one. Drawing your child's heart to yours. Drawing your child's heart to yours. The, the core concept in this step, I'm not much of a graphic designer, but here we go. The core concept here is this. That the shortest distance between your child's heart and Christ is you. The shortest distance between your child's heart and Christ is you. How many of you have ever prayed, let's say you have a, a daughter who lives another part of the country, Lord, please bring someone into her life who would be a spiritual encouragement to her, maybe bring her to church, something like that. Many of you have ever prayed a prayer like that. Okay. It, it's a really good prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying a prayer for God bring someone into my son or daughter's life who's going to be a spiritual blessing to that. But let's say they did that. Let's say uh, God brings a co-worker into your daughter's life down in Phoenix, and that co-worker is very instrumental in leading her to faith, that would be kind of like God taking her the long way around. Random co-worker in Phoenix. Praise God, hallelujah, I'll take it. The short route to faith is through mom, through dad, through grandma, through grandma. That's the shortest distance between a child's heart uh, and Christ. This step, or this principle is encapsulated in a verse I shared yesterday morning, Proverbs 23, Verses 24 to 26. Scripture says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. This is Solomon writing to his son. And he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. So here's a father trying to draw the heart of his son to himself. He wants to have an open... Well, what does it mean, Rob? What do you mean uh, when, when you have heart connection? What does this mean if I... Uh, 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 oh, what did you say? Counseling? shouldn't say turn your heart to your child. should say draw your child's heart to yours. Sorry about that. Are you all with me? We're on step three. Great. Sorry. Slide issues. How did the Apostle Paul do it without PowerPoint? I have no idea. But okay. <laughs> here's, the, here's the principle here. If we want to have influence with our adult children, we need to have heart connection. What is heart connection? One of my mentors, Richard Ross, teaches on this and helped me so much. Heart connection is when we have warmth, closeness, openness, honesty, and trust. So what he would do is he would bring Luke up on the stage and he'd have Luke stand here and Richard would have a PVC pipe and he would do heart to heart with Luke. And he, he would say, when we have heart connection with someone, warmth, closeness, openness, honesty, and trust. And when you have heart connection, you have influence. If you don't have heart connection, you don't have influence. So let's try it uh, like this. Um, let's say, all right, uh, Luke and my friend Jason here, is that right? Jason, and then start telling me your name. Philip, okay. So, Luke, you have two neighbors. You've got Jason and Phil. Phil, your best friend in the whole wide world. Couldn't be a nice guy. Jason? I don't know what his, pro I don't know what his problem is. You understand? But he, he doesn't like you. Well, I mean, like, for that matter. But uh, when you pull the driveway, you know, he'll, he'll be out there. He'll be muttering. Profanity, even. Right? He'll throw rocks from time to time. He's just that kind of person. So, you, unfortunately, 
Moses rocks and stuff like that. He always put a box out here. But he said, hey, you wrecked your car. Right? He said, yeah, I wrecked my car. Well, you need to go down to Ray's body shop and fix you up. Now, if Jason gives him that advice, is he going to listen to go to Ray's body shop and get his car fixed? Probably not. Right? But if, uh, Philip, sorry, first service, come on. That was the slack time zone. Okay? But if Philip says, hey, you should go to Ray's body shop, he's going to go. So it turns out, you know, Jason, in a moment of kindness, he gave good advice. Rare, but true. Because Ray does good work at the body shop. But uh, Luke's not going to listen to you because there's no heart connection. There's no warmth, closeness, openness, honesty, trust. So Luke will not allow himself to be influenced by you, but he will allow to be influenced by Philip because of the warmth, closeness, openness, honesty, trust. So how many of you would like more godly influence in the lives of your adult kids? They're not talking about control, manipulation, godly influence. Well, if you want more godly influence, you're going to need more what? Heart connection. We're going to have to build the relationship and help the relationship become stronger. So, okay, how can I build a relationship? How can I do that? Let me give you some practical uh, suggestions. You remember a few minutes ago, I asked you a uh, couple tough questions. How many of you were perfect parents? One hand. How many of you did things wrong as a parent? 50% of the hands. Then I said, okay, like what? Like you have to write it down on a three by five card because you do it. And so on this one, whatever things you had on that card, let's say the two mistakes you made as a parent, right, in your 18 years, uh, have you ever gone to your son or daughter to confess those things and ask their forgiveness for them? Powerful thing to do. They flip it around. Your, your 22-year-old daughter says, hey, mom, can I have breakfast with you tomorrow? Some things I want to talk to you about. And your 22-year-old daughter says, you know, my about the past few years, and I think I've done some things that, that have hurt you and have really hurt our relationship. I remember when I said this, and I remember when I said this, and I think that I, I was wrong. I just wanted to ask you to forgive me. I just pretended it was a crime. And uh, do you think that if your daughter did that, that it would increase or decrease heart connection in your relationship? Of course it would increase it, right? All she did was reach into this, like, biblical toolbox of relational healing, which is asking forgiveness for things, and she applied it in the relationship. So if you've never done that with your child, it's a powerful thing. Now, some of you are here, you're like, Bob, yes, I've done it like ten times. I keep asking for forgiveness over and over again. My counsel to you at that point is probably not to, to not do it in eleventh time. Because sometimes in this family cycle, a, a child can actually start to use that like a manipulation tool and um, uh, to say, well, you know, I'm going to grant forgiveness when you sufficiently flagellated yourself. And I'll determine, right, when you wallowed enough. So at some point, you can say, I mean, some things are worthy of a couple apologies, right? But there does come a point where you can say to a child, I I really have genuinely asked forgiveness for this. um, The ball is in your court. I understand that really hurts you. I understand that maybe uh, this may take time, but um, you let me know. Another one, if you're tracking along on your outline, uh, the, the outline probably has a lot more than I'm saying today, so some of you are like, you're seeing me skip these major sections, and you're like, don't skip that, don't skip that, but I, you've got the whole, you've got the big outline, I'm doing the condensed version. Another one is to communicate honestly about your fear and anxiety in regards to talking with your son or daughter about spiritual things. That one goes something like this, hey, uh, son, I want to have a conversation with you, I'm a little nervous about it. 
thank you for being honest with me. Because you didn't have to do that. You could have just kind of kept playing church or, you know, making dad and mom think that, you know, things are okay spiritually, but you were honest. Now, son, tell me more. Tell me more. I really want to understand. I sure as didn't happen yesterday. When did you start having these thoughts? When did you start having these feelings? Go on a rant. Go on a ramble. I just want to hear and listen. Well, I don't know if you remember, but this, this, and this, da, 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 all this stuff coming out. Praise God. I need all that to know how to pray and to know how to parent. Thus, elevating honesty is a top value in the relationship. Fourth and final practical or biblical principle here is to point your child's heart to Christ. So offer your heart to the Lord, turn your heart to your child, draw your child's heart to the Lord, point your child's heart to Christ. And the first principle here is to be not ashamed of the gospel. Be not ashamed of the gospel. The Bible says in Romans that the gospel message is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Let me give you an illustration that I don't particularly like because in a room this size, it probably has affected some of us. But I want you to imagine that you have a child with a uh, terminal illness. And they're in the hospital and there appears to be no hope to save their life. But you discover the cure for whatever it is, uh, some route from Malaysia or something. And you've got the cure for this sickness that they have. And you come into the hospital room and you say, I found the cure, I found the cure, I found the cure. And your son says, I don't want to hear about your stupid cure. I'm not sick. I'm fine. I'll be fine. Leave me alone. How many of you at that point would say, oh, okay. I'll never bring it up again. sharing this illustration in Texas. A woman said, I'm driving down this road. I'm like, yes, ma'am, I believe that's exactly what you look up. And honestly, if that's if it's a route from Malaysia, then you know, just take it. It's probably really not a bad idea. I don't know if the gospel works exactly like that uh, same principle. But here's the point. You, you would not stop trying to share the good news that you have. That illustration those things. 
kind of a monster of a son would I be? Like, what kind of horrible human being would I be to believe those things and not share this good news with you? And he, he didn't like that, but he actually did get it. And he sort of continued to then tolerate his kooky uh, uh, religious son. And I'm going to share more of my dad's story in the service in a few moments. Um, but, but my encouragement here to you as it relates to these spiritual conversations is, is that it's worth the risk. Like it's worth trying again. What's the, what's the alternative? Like giving up and talking about football and weather for the next 20 years? And I'm not saying every single time we talk with him, let me talk to you about Jesus, but we're praying, we're looking for opportunities. God, would you give me a chance to have this spiritual conversation? You may remember, I don't think our kids, I see a lot of teenagers in here, you all probably don't know this phrase, but the moms and dads are very good grandmas know it. Uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. And when we've got a child far from God, desperate times. Desperate times. And it calls for desperate measures. And, and not uh, allowing, see, one of the big lies on this from the enemy is that it is too late for you to make an impact in the life of your 25, 35, 40-year-old son or daughter. You see, you missed your, your chance. I mean, obviously, when they were a kid, you had a chance. But now you don't have a chance. Like, your window of influence has, has closed. And my encouragement to you today, again, as long as you've got breath, as long as your child's got breath, it's never too late for God to use you. I want to uh, conclude our time in, in prayer with We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.